1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we have been given a, a, a blessing, if you will, to have the opportunity over the last few weeks, uh, particularly the last five weeks, to uh, look at each chapter of 1 Thessalonians, uh, a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he himself had instructed, not only in the love of Christ, as we learned in chapter 1, but also at the end of every chapter that, that Paul had taught this church about the things that were to come. Things that are to come, he taught them prophetic issues, prophetic themes, prophetic idioms. He, he taught them all about prophecy. And this was a young church. But this is what they needed to know because Paul was for sure certain that the Lord could come at any moment, even back then. And certainly we see that not only in Paul, but as we'll see in, the te- in, in our study today, even Peter was expecting the Lord to come at any moment. Well, uh, the last days did begin when the church uh, uh, began to flourish and, and certainly was, was, uh, was started and, and, and uh, continued on. So that is how the scriptures define the last days. But this is what we read now in chapter 5, and of course we'll kind of make our tie-ins to everything else before. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1-5, through 5, Paul writes, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Now, I find it quite significant that Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians was was so progressively in order. There is an order in this particular letter. And certainly the fact that it was a spirit-inspired and anointed work is evident. But its order helps us to understand Paul's continued focus of Christ's return throughout. As I've already mentioned in our previous study, Paul spoke of their salvation. That is the salvation of the church in Thessalonica. And all those who were a part of that congregation and part of that fellowship, he spoke of their salvation. And then he focused on their nurturing in chapter 2. He encouraged them to continue to grow and to be mature and to be established in their faith in chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, he exhorted them and as well us to walk in holiness to walk in love, to walk in honesty and hope. Why? Because Jesus was coming, and Jesus is coming. And in the last half of chapter 4, Paul lays out clearly the event known as the rapture of the church, an event that he believed and his readers might well be alive uh, to experience. It was and is to be an imminent event. This is what uh, uh, imminency means. In other words, it could take place at any moment. And it was an event that, in speaking of it, would bring comfort and encouragement to all. So as we see in the very end of chapter 4, 
after he mentions, of course, the coming of Jesus, he says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So with all that in mind, at the onset of this last chapter of his letter, Paul now writes to them about the next event in the prophetic calendar. Again, notice the order. He speaks first of the rapture, and now he speaks of the day of the Lord and how they are to live in the light of Christ's return. So the order then should be noticed. He says, comfort one another with these words, speaking of the rapture of the church. And then he says in verse 1, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And just to clarify, here in chapter 5, Paul is not speaking of the rapture of the church, but the time period called the day of the Lord, which is not one specific day, but a period of time. In particular, this time period begins after the rapture of the church and extends through the seven-year tribulation period leading into the kingdom age and the creation of the new heavens and a new earth that will be eternal. Now, to understand the seven-year uh, uh, time frame, you have to go back to the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, and then, of course, the book of Revelation as well. Uh, but it is very clear from Scripture and in, in the study of, of prophecy that it is a seven-year period of tribulation. And then the very mention of kingdom or the kingdom age is, is something that should also encourage our hearts about prophetically because any mention of the kingdom is actually the very thing that uh, Jesus came to preach to his own people. For when Jesus began to preach, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the, the understanding of a kingdom coming also has to include Israel, and Israel has to be prominent in our study of prophecy. We cannot have prophecy without Israel. We cannot have prophecy without the nation of Israel. We cannot have prophecy without the, 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 the Jewish people back in the land. This is what we see happening today. So all of this is, is so significant and important to our understanding of the time frames and the order in which Paul gives us these particular chapters. The prophecies of Malachi chapter 4, Zechariah 14, and even 2 Peter 3 refer to this period of time known as the day of the Lord, and not to mention then all, all the other Hebrew prophets as well. Uh, and especially, I mean, I mean, we could spend a long time dealing with this issue of the day of the Lord. But I want you to consider something here. Consider that over the past five millennia, or the five plus millennia, because it's been over 5,000 years, that man has had his day. You know, man, man sinned, you know, in the garden. And of course, from that day on, man has been doing his own thing over, overall. Uh, we can also consider that the enemy is trying to have his own day uh, over and against the things that, that God has done. But very, very soon, the Lord is going to have his day. This is the day of the Lord. And it is not a day of mirth and gladness. In fact, the scriptures are very clear that the day of the Lord is a day of darkness and gloom. It is a day of judgment. It is a day of God's fury and wrath being brought upon the earth against all who have rejected his truth. Of course, we'll get back to all of that later. But this young church... 
The church in Thessalonica had been taught well by Paul, taught well by Paul and his, and his uh, assistants, Silas and Timothy even. And as they had no need to have Paul write it to them again about brotherly love, as we, as we read back in chapter 4, verse 9, where, where, where Paul writes, uh, But as touching brotherly love, uh, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Well, this was all certainly all that, that Paul had been uh, teaching them in just a, a few weeks' time. So you, you can see that he saturated them with the love of God, with the word of God, and certainly with the prophetic word of God. And so neither did Paul have to write to them again about the times and the seasons. These things were made very plain to them in his teaching. So they knew well that the day of reckoning for the world would come suddenly and it would come unexpectedly to deal with unbelievers. Isaiah chapter 13 verse 6 says, How will ye? For the day of the Lord is at hand. And it, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. So notice, now, you know, that, that's a pretty good, strong uh, uh, verse to, to show us in, in, a, in a nutshell what the day of the Lord is all about. The day of the Lord is at hand. It can happen at any time. Of course, even back in the days of the prophets, they were waiting to see it happen. They didn't know when it would happen. But he said, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. You go down to verse 9 of the same chapter, Isaiah 13, and it says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. So we, we get, a, a, again, another picture of the immensity of the day of the Lord, both in wrath and in fierce anger, which deals with the wrath of God and the fury of God against sinners and against even the earth. Joel chapter 1 verse 15, and there are many mentions of the day of the Lord in, in the uh, prophecy of Joel, but he says, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. So if we were to, to share every aspect of every verse that mentions the day of the Lord, one thing is for, for sure, that it would be hard to apply what Paul said at the end of chapter 4, comfort one another with these words. It's hard to apply those words to the day of the Lord. In fact, it would really be impossible because the comfort comes not in the day of the Lord. The comfort comes in knowing that the rapture of the church can happen at any moment. And we should be ready for that, as we shall see in just a moment. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, as we go on, it says, for when they shall say peace and safety. Now, I want you to take note of a couple of things here. First of all, take note of how Paul has now changed the pronouns. He had been saying ye and us and we. But then he, now in this verse, he says they and them. So there's a distinction here that Paul is making. First, he speaks of the church. The times and the seasons, you have no need that we write unto you. You yourselves know perfectly. But now he says, for when they, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. There's a tremendous distinction here that Paul is pointing out. The rapture affects you and us and we as believers in Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is gonna come upon them who have rejected 
God, rejected the truth of God, rejected the Messiah of God, and they shall not escape. But the day of the Lord will initially begin with a false sense of security. Folks, we're being, we're, we're, we're being given these words even now. Oh, peace and safety, peace and safety. You know, we have a, an organization in New York City called the U- United Nations, and, you know, they like to say peace and safety. You're, we're going to bring in and usher in peace and safety as long as we can have a one-world government and one-world leader. Peace and safety, yes. What has the United Nations done over the many years that it's been around? It, 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 it does more than, than just, well, it hasn't brought any peace at all. What peace has there been? None. None, none whatsoever. What we do have is a... Uh, uh, what they what they call a, uh, a security council that is made up of all of the worst uh, human rights uh, uh, abusers that there can be, China and North Korea and so on and so forth. Well, that's really pushing peace and safety, isn't it? What a lie that is. But that's the false sense of security that these words are, are, are going to bring at the time when Antichrist will eventually be revealed. Again, we're getting a little, a little bit ahead of ourselves. But uh, it's much like the people had before the flood. Oh, everything's just, you know, everything's cool. You know, we're building, we're building the Tower of Babel. We're, we're going to make our way, uh, you know, to heaven and our way to God. Our own way of doing things. Well, what happened then? Or those that lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Living in some kind of peace and safety to do whatever they wanted to do. And I mentioned the Tower of Babel, but you have to go even way before that. You have to go all the way back to uh, before the flood. So suddenness and suffering are, are described in type here. When Paul is dealing with what is yet to come, he says it's as labor pains upon a woman with child, which is a well-used prophetic idiom. It is a type of something. There's something happening. Labor pains. Those are not uh, any... Any mom will tell you those are not things that are you, you rejoice in. Labor pains upon a woman with child is painful. It's a well-used idiom. And there, there's no escaping the judgment of the Lord during that time. There will be no place to hide from the wrath of God. We're told in Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. And by the way, Revelation 6 is really early on in what we would consider the seven-year period of tribulation. So consider what it says here. Revelation 6, verse 15, verse, uh, verses 15 through 17, it says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Who's, who is that? That's Jesus. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Who shall be able to stand in the midst of all of that? And notice also that Paul no longer says we, as he did when speaking of the rapture, but he says they, as speaking of unbelievers. But then Paul continues to speak to the church when he says with prophetic authority in verses 4 and 5, and I'll explain what it means 
you know, to, to say that he speaks with the prophetic authority. Because he has been saying, we, we, which are alive and remain, we, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, being the, the, the dead in Christ. That's back in chapter 4. But now he says, but ye. So he says, ye, as, as, as one who is speaking the words of God to the church. He says, but ye, brethren, this is prophetic authority. Ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day shall, should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. Now, I love the very fact that he brings himself back into this, and he says, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Their character as believers in Jesus Christ is no longer that of the darkness in which they lived. Our night is past, folks. Our night is past. We are to live up to what the Lord has now made us as believers in Jesus Christ. We are children of the light and children of the day. The day of the Lord will not overtake us because we are now sons of light and sons of the day, ready for the return of Jesus. Now this is living in the light of Christ's return. Living in the light of Christ's return. The, the, exhort, the exhortative warning in this passage is that we are to beware of careless living as we wait for the day of Christ to come. The day of Christ, we oftentimes refer to that really as that day when Christ will come for his church. In, in contrast to the day of the Lord, which is the day of darkness and gloom that is described in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, and is also described for us in the New Testament. So this is living in the light of Christ's return. We, we, are, we are to be aware of careless living. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, and notice what Peter says. And again, notice that he says, but the end of all things is at hand. He's, he's saying, hey, listen, the end can happen at any moment, but so can the coming of Jesus Christ. The end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now, being sober is exactly what he means here. And, of course, it also means to be wise and to be thinking and, and, and uh, right thinking and clear thinking. But it also means be sober, as you'll see in just a moment. And watch unto prayer. Watch unto prayer. Be a watchman that prays always. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, also says this. He says, Wherefore he saith, Awake, that, <clears throat> awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, aware of everything that is around you. As believers, that's how we need to walk in this world. Carefully. Carefully noting, noting everything that is about us. Not as fools. Fools live carefree lives. They, they, they don't look to the sides, to the front, to the back. You know, they're just, go on. Whatever happens, happens. But not we as believers in this day and time in which we live. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, making the best use and the most use of the time that we have. Why? Because the days are evil. The days are more evil now than ever before. 
There is so much more deception going on. And Jesus said that one of the high marks of the time period of these last days would be deception. Man is deceiving people today. Look at the way the whole world today is being globally conditioned because of this pandemic that we see happening. That's preparation for what is yet to come. So that the world can keep crying out, let's have a one world government. It, it's been, they've been saying this for years. Let's have this one world government. Oh, listen, we can only function if we'll have one true leader for everyone. Well, the Lord said that's going to come. But you're not going to see that it's the Antichrist. Or what the Bible calls the beast. The days are evil, folks. So this leads us to our next passage in our text in, 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 in chapter 5, verses 6 to 10 of First Thessalonians. It says, therefore, let us not sleep. Now we're back to us. Let us as the church, as the believers in Jesus Christ, let us not sleep as do others. But let us watch and be sober. Sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober. That's the third time we've heard that now from Paul. Be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. He has not appointed us to wrath. The them and the they, when you go back to verse 3, it, it's clear that destruction is coming on them, but not on us. Why? Well, first of all, because the order has already been established. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to be with the Lord in the air, or to meet the Lord in the air, and to... And, and to ever be with him. Jesus said, wherever I am, that's where you'll be also, with me. God has not appointed us to this wrath, but to obtain salvation. By our Lord, and say, by our Lord Jesus Christ, who, look at verse 10, died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we live or die, we should live together with him. Now understand that the sleep referred to here uh, is not so much referring to, to the state of death, but to the spiritual condition. Coupled with the, the state of drunkenness, this condition denotes a darkened understanding. You know, you can go back to what he said when he said in verse 7, For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. So in that particular sense, we, we realize that what he's saying about sleeping is, is, and, and, is, is about the spiritual condition. We can certainly say that, uh, you know, we were dead spiritually before we came to know Christ. And, and, and Christ who gave us life also gave us life to our spirit. This is, a, this is the, the communion that we have with Jesus Christ himself. But there's a condition that denotes a darkened understanding. 
And it can be seen in a love of darkness, being controlled by darkness, and headed then for eternal darkness. A darkened understanding expresses a love of darkness, being controlled by darkness, and headed for eternal darkness. John, when we, we've, we've read this many times, First John chapter 2. Love not the world, nor the things in the world. For those who love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. That's a distinction. That's a very clear distinction. We either love the Father or we love the world. We, we really can't keep... We really should, you know, can't think that we can have both feet, you know, one foot in, in one uh, kingdom and one foot in the other kingdom. Kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. If we start falling toward the love of darkness, we're going to be controlled by darkness. And those controlled by darkness will be headed for eternal darkness. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 3. He said, and this is the, condem- this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought or worked in God fashioned in God. And it is no small thing that we who are of the day be serious, that we be sober and watchful by putting on the armor of God. Go back for just a moment in the statement that I'm making here that that it's no small thing that we who are of the day be serious. I sometimes think that before this pandemic took place, that we were taking a lot of things for granted in the church. This is the reason why I've, I've, I've said in, in times past here in recent weeks that what this has done for us, it, it has awakened the church. It has awakened the church to seeming attitudes in the past that were more of just taking things for granted, doing things automatically. And still having our connections to things in the world. But we need to be serious now. Because this is a serious problem that we have happening in the world. And even here in our own city. Though I can tell you, and I, and I say this with all respect to you know, everybody that's you know, trying to, to give us honest answers. We're not getting honest answers. I mean, you know, numbers are being, you know, inflated. A lot of ideas are happening here. This is why we need to be serious. Why? Because we need to be discerning of what's going on around us. As children of God, as children of the light, because there are people here today living in this city that are in terrible fear. For their lives. 
They need to know Jesus Christ. They need to come to Christ. They need to come to life and to faith and trust in the one who created them and knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. So we need to be serious and sober and watchful. We need to put on the armor of God. Interestingly enough, here in chapter 5, Paul mentions two pieces of armor. The parts of the armor that represent faith, hope, and love. And he even mentions it in that way. He says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And for those of us who have the hope of the rapture of the church, Paul once again assures the believer that the Lord did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ with that wonderful goal or that wonderful end result of living together with him, of being with him where he is, there will we be also. And that's comfort, isn't it? Well, look at verse 11 of our text because verse 11 mentions that comfort again. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. And that really means comfort yourselves together. I mean, this this attacks, uh, with all due respect, this attacks social distancing. We got to be together. And edify one another, even as also ye do. Folks, how do we edify? How do we build one another up if we're cooped up? Okay, I'm letting a little bit of my heart come out here. Okay. (laughs) Well, I don't care. It's about time the church be the church again. We need to build each other up. We need to comfort one another. We need to encourage people that Jesus is coming and we need to get ready. We return to the encouragement, the comfort, and the edification of that great event. What is it? The rapture of the church. The coming of Jesus for his church. His bride. And still we are to watch. We are to be sober and serious about the times and the seasons in which we live. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 21, verses 34 through 36. And I want you to listen to what Jesus is saying here. And take heed to yourselves, he says. Take heed, pay attention, be watchful, behold, be awake and be alert. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, which, which actually has, has to do with sensual pleasures and all, and drunkenness. People aren't hearing numbers today. They're hearing all kinds of other kind of uh, puffed up numbers, but they're not hearing numbers that today there is a, there is a, 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 an increase in alcoholism Today, during this pandemic, well, could that have been that they allowed uh, uh, liquor stores to open but not churches? (laughs) Here I go again. Lord, wake us up. Cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. Believers should not be unaware of anything. 
That's why we need to be serious and watchful and sober. Notice verse 35, For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. That is certainly going to happen when the church is out of the way. And it is a snare. It shall come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Well, you can't count the church there because the church isn't there. But he says to us, watch ye therefore. He's saying to us, watch ye therefore. And pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Worthy to escape all these things. When? At the coming of Jesus Christ for his church, the rapture of the church. And here's the thing. The people that, that criticize those of us who believe strongly in the rapture of the church, that, that even say, oh, those who believe in the rapture of the church, I mean, they're heretics. No, we're not. We're just reading the scriptures. We're believing exactly what the scripture says about Jesus coming for his church and snatching us away. Where the corruptible becomes incorruptible. Where the mortal becomes immortal. At the blink, at the, at, 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 you know, at the blinking of an eye. At the last trump. How can that be her- heresy? It isn't. It's heresy not to believe that. I'm telling you that right now. Because it is in scripture. And then they say, oh, you guys just want to escape. Well, wouldn't you if Jesus tells you to? Be worthy to escape all these things. Who wants to be here? You think you're tough enough for the seven-year tribulation? Don't be stupid. (sighs) Oh, Lord, help me. (laughs) I'm not trying to make light of this, folks. This is reality. Don't be stupid. Pray that you may be accounted worthy to escape. This is a serious thing. To know the difference between the rapture of the church and the day of the Lord. All, uh, be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Well, I can sense your prayers now for me. Thank you. <laughs> Paul goes on to exhort the members of the church in Thessalonica that in living in the light of Christ's return, their responsibilities and attitudes toward the church and its leaders should also be centered on respect. He says in verses 12 through 15, And we beseech you, brethren, we beg you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, And be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. And that may very well be those who don't know Jesus Christ and are expressing their unruliness. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. 
In other words, respect and love your leaders for their work's sake. We here love you, and we want you to know the truth of God's word. This is why we teach the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Why we teach every word, because every word is important. And every word is inspired. And every word is preserved for us. But we need to know what that word is. And we need to let peace always be present and evident. We need to always be mindful of others' needs. The pursuit of good for all should be the goal. With all patience and and endurance and perseverance. Paul, in his letter to the Galatian church, has said this in Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. He said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou be also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone. And not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. We are certainly to bear one another's burdens. And in so doing, we fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love. The royal law of love. So we can't think of ourselves as if we're something. We're nothing. I understand that the Lord has called me to be the pastor of this this congregation. But that doesn't make me a person to lord over you. I realize my shortcomings. I realize the things that I have to struggle with every day. I am as much a sheep as you are. I am an under-shepherd because there's only one true shepherd to the church and that's Jesus himself. But I understand and all of our pastors and all of our leaders, our elders, understand these things. We bear one another's burdens, yet at the same time, we have to test our works. And then we shall have rejoicing in ourselves and not in another. You know, I mean, we, we bear one another's burdens, but we have to bear our own too. Every man shall bear his own burden. Sometimes that's, that's difficult, but it is necessary. But in doing so, the Lord makes you ready and more strong, stronger to bear others in, the, in, the, in their greater need. Thank the Lord that Jesus said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So we become an extension to bear others' burdens, but we're not Jesus. So we need to bring them to Christ who need Jesus. Lastly, Paul encourages and exhorts the church in Thessalonica to be faithful in their daily conduct. And we'll go through this quickly, but I think that you can get a picture and an understanding now of what Paul is saying here. This is a long section from 16 to 28, but But understand this, they're very short little verses. Look at the first verse here, 16, two words, rejoice evermore. 
Rejoice evermore. Every believer in Jesus Christ is to give thanks and praise and and rejoicing unto God for what he did in sending his only begotten son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to take upon himself our sins, to die for us, to shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and to rise from the dead on the third day. We have so much to rejoice in, even today, even now. And then he says, pray without ceasing. Do you have a hard attitude of prayer? You should. Or, or, or are you always depending on somebody else to pray for you? You know, we want to pray with you. And we'll pray for you. But we're not only going to pray for you. We want to pray with you, which means you need to pray too. Pray without ceasing. In other words, have an attitude that is of Christ always with you. Therefore, you're always in, con- in connection and communication with God and with Christ. 18, in everything give thanks. Are you thankful for everything that God has done? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. His will is that we be thankful to him for everything that he's done. We sing a song here, give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One because he's given Jesus Christ. He's given us his only begotten Son. Give thanks. And then quench not, quench not the spirit. Don't throw water on the, fi- on the fire of the Holy Spirit that, that wants to ignite us to serve him in a time like today, in a time like this. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophesying. He says, despise not prophesying. There would be those who would say, well, now prophesying is, is not just, you know, telling the future and all of these things. You know, prophesying is, is foretelling of, of, the, uh, of the word and, and, and whatnot. There's, you know, okay, well, that's fine. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at a good close examination of the word prophesying here, it actually means don't despise the prophecies that God has given what has been, by, by the way, what has been the context of prophecy in this first letter to the Thessalonians? It is the coming of Jesus Christ. Don't despise that. Those who despise the rapture despise, are despising prophesying. But at the same time, he says, prove all things. Therefore, we need to be wise in our love of prophecy and our service in, in prophecy. But prove all things and hold fast that which is good. You know, over many years, we, we've heard all different kinds of prophecies about the end times. Some we've had to dis, discard because some of them, you know, some of that uh, doesn't, doesn't seem to fit what's happening today. But, you know, we're able to prove that, uh, hold fast, I should say, to that which is good. So we're holding fast to what we now see even clearer than we did 20, 30, or even 40 years ago. And then in verse 22, it says, abstain from all appearance of evil. So now our, our holiness, our lies, our humility, and our honesty, all of these things come back into play, and we need to abstain from any appearance, all appearance of evil. Abstain from it. Just stay away from it. If anything doesn't look good, walk away. And the very God of peace sanctify you or set you apart completely or wholly. 
And I pray, God, your whole, whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. That's the complete you. Your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us as we ask you to pray for us each and every day uh, as, as the uh, pastoral staff here and the leadership here in this church. Pray for us, brethren, pray for us. And I love verse 26. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Well, you just can't have social distancing with that. But I will send you a holy kiss. I hope it is holy to you today, today for this day. But this shows the affection that the church is to have. And it is a pure affection. A holy, set-apart affection unto God that we need to have. I can remember early on in the Jesus movement how we came to really understand how much we were to love one another in a pure sense, in the right sense, in a holy sense. In those days when the Holy Spirit was moving greatly upon the church with the word of God together, uh, there, was, there was so much true love among the brethren. What has happened? People have taken their eyes off of the word, don't depend on the spirit, and find themselves now trying to make hide in the, or make sense of, of uh, one thing or another by the world's standards. Now, we can't do that anymore. We have to come to the standards that God has given us in his word. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And so in closing, Paul encourages this young, vibrant, and growing church to maintain a constant communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. He would have them all to preserve and protect this attitude of heart toward the Lord and toward each other. And to be careful in their worship and avoid every appearance of evil in their daily walk. This is living in the light of Christ's return. And as we approach the table of communion this morning, let us examine ourselves to see that we are in the faith. Let us truly examine ourselves.